Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Silver 7's getting ready for NHL tonight. We'll get you some... Updates on what's happening around Major League Baseball this afternoon and uh, a decent night in the NBA. Von Tobel alongside Cofield, Angel as well. We're at the uh, Corona Cantina across the way from the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. So come on down, enjoy happy hour. It has begun. 277 on the drinks. Not all the drinks, but yeah. A good selection of drinks, beer, well drinks, shots, margaritas. You fired up? For what? We got a lot of good stuff coming up. Oh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. I want you to talk about fans, and especially fans in the NBA. We're going to get to that in a couple of minutes because I saw you a uh, couple of interesting tweets today. You know, more people out there are like, oh, the NBA. <laughs> Don't get me started. It's terrible. And, um, well, you know, in a lot of cases, those are fans who swear by baseball. So we'll get to that. Big difference between NBA and there are There are tons of people in the media, but especially fans who – I would say this has probably developed more in the last 40 years that there's a, a group that actively roots against athletes. You know, they would like to see them fall. They want to rake them across the coals, especially now because athletes are many cases or in many cases outspoken, are chatting about stuff that's not sports. So fans are teed up, you know, and we're going to get into the roots of that in a in a couple of minutes, which, again, brings us back to. LeBron James tweeting out accountability and you're next with a, a picture of a police officer who was involved in the shooting of a 15-year-old in Columbus, Ohio. I think you know he realized at some point, wait, I didn't have all the facts. I was too emotional. He sent that out. And I think the reaction's interesting. Now, I don't like to prop up people who are kind of playing their bits, but every once in a while I'll do it because I don't want to buy into the bit. I don't want to sell the bit. But it is a successful bit in in sports media. If you are an athlete hater, or at least have certain athletes that you dislike, and you keep doing that, uh, you can make millions. You know, Skip Bayless, I think, is one of the first guys to do that. Uh, Doc Travis has been really successful at it, and I thought what he had today on the the LeBron tweet was tremendous. Uh, headline on the story that's up at uh, FSR, our fine station over on. 1340 and 98.9 FM. Uh, Doc says, quote, LeBron James should be ashamed of himself and ridiculed to the high heavens for what he did. Okay. Too much? I mean, of course, because even LeBron's admission of lack of education on the topic is not enough. Like I said, it's not enough for people like Clay. It's not going to be enough. You made the mistake. You can never live it down. You can never admit to wanting to be more educated and acting too quickly. You have to be destroyed for it. Headline, LeBron James is causing division rather than uniting the country. Okay. But Clay's not doing that, right? That from Doc. Clay's not doing that, right? <laughs> Clay's never done that. He's not, you know, he's not exploiting a, a bit so he can drive a little bit more division. And, no, no, he's a great healer. Okay. How about, uh, let's not even get into the source because obviously that's, you know, that, uh, much of that is kind of what Xavier Pope was saying last hour, kind of that mm -hmm. there's a certain segment of that kind of that white grievance, you know, mad at athletes, mad at things. Have, things haven't worked out, mad that, you know, maybe uh, your unlimited power is starting to fade a little bit. Put that all aside. Is it LeBron James' job to unite the country? And if he's that powerful, then I, I guess the same people would make the argument that LeBron James is underpaid then. LeBron James should be making like $250 million a year. If his responsibility is so big that he can unite the country, which which also leads you to, well, then I guess he can tweet about stuff that's not sports. He should never stick to sports if part of his job is uniting the country. That's a lot of power. You should be able to speak on lots of subjects. But I also See, thought you can't you can't have it all these different ways. Right. Exactly. You either don't want him to talk about non-sports stuff and you know not get involved in issues like who uh, who's the uh, the six six. Uh, soccer player, what is it, Latin? Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Right, who's like, ah, it's not my cup of tea. 
Even so, though he so, spoke on it, you know, right. a couple years earlier. So, is this what we want from LeBron or not? And then when he does speak on it, he has to be perfect every time? I mean, he he deleted the tweet. He clarified, hey, you know what? I got emotional, but this is why I got emotional. What do we want from LeBron James? Oh, well, see, that depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to Clay Travis and his ilk, they want him to tweet out what they want to hear. You know, Adam says this all the time. We're never mad at our athletes for talking about politics. We're mad at our athletes for talking about politics that we don't agree with. That's what the problem is. LeBron's not going to win because he's on the wrong side for those people. Right. And that's what the issue is. And, by the way, to your point when you talk about this, is it shut up and dribble or is it unite the country? There's never a way for these guys to win. It just isn't. Unless you accept the fact that he is a human being who has his beliefs, who is going to speak on that, and by the way, has done very good things for his community and for our country on the side, but also has his flaws, and he's going to overreact like we all do for certain situations, tweet out some nonsense that he probably shouldn't have, and then come back to it and realize and tell you, by the way, I made a mistake, I should have been more educated on the topic. But it's never going to be good enough. You can hear John as a regular on VSIN here in town. <laughs> he's on various shows. He's hosted shows. Be part of our regular NFL draft coverage coming up in a couple of There weeks. you go. What are you guys doing? Uh, we are going to be on from the start of the draft all the way through until 10 o'clock. Your boy's going to be on in the second half, I'd say, like from like 8 to 10-ish. So check that out. Very nice. I'm an NBA draft analyst or NBA analyst, but, you know, I dabble in other things. I've watched an MMA match here or there and other sports. I'm going to ask you a question I think I know the answer to. Um, across the platform, you guys are mostly gambling talk. Across the platform, did you guys talk about Super League and the idea of flopping? Um, I will be honest. I don't know because I didn't listen to all of our shows. I would assume it was probably a small topic. but I mean, not- it, it is technically it is a gambling topic because you think about it. If there was something that potentially could usurp or add to Correct. You know, stuff like the Champions League, that would be a massive – you know how big that event would be from a gambling standpoint to have guaranteed slots for the biggest named or biggest name soccer clubs in the world? Oh, and, and that doesn't even dive into the minutiae that is like, you know, rights deals and oh. companies like DraftKings and FanDuel getting yep. involved, things oh, like yeah. that. So, yeah, 100%. Like, I would assume it was a small topic, but generally our coverage skews more towards the actual contests. So I think it was probably brought up, but I also won't pretend like I listen to every minute of our coverage. So do you know the general premise of what happened here, what they were trying to do? Yes, I okay. do. As a good media host, I, I read up on this, Steve. I understand the concept. Well, I didn't want to catch off guard. Okay. Can you explain it to the audience? So, essentially, the powers that be, the big clubs in European soccer, uh, decided to break away. Didn't like the format of the Champions League. A lot of it had to do with money in the pandemic. So, they form a European Super League. The powers that be, of course, being Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, and then a couple of the other European Super Clubs, including AC Milan, Arsenal, Atletico Madrid. So, they could form their own kind of Super League, supplant the Champions League. It would also help in terms of money, everything that's happened with the pandemic, because these teams are in debt. But it would kind of ruin the spirit of the competition that is the Champions League where lots of different clubs can make it, including clubs that aren't superpowers from a money standpoint. By the way, you know the driving force behind a lot of this, a lot of those clubs you just named are owned by Americans, which that may have been part of the pushback. Why do you think it failed? Well, it seems, from my understanding, one, there was a lot of pushback. That seems to be kind of one of the impetus, the impetus behind it, right? Fan pushback, uh, larger powers that be in terms of the pushback. That's- Fan pushback and athlete pushback. Yes. We talked about this last night on our podcast. We do a podcast every night, either 1030 or uh, 9 o'clock our time. Uh, tonight is 9 o'clock with our Law and Sporter podcast. But the Wednesday show I do with Saran Petro, who's a big soccer fan, uh, has a MLS club in Kansas City, is a sports talk radio host in KC. And he was talking about why the Super League failed and how cool it was that actually the driving force behind this in many ways was the fans uniting with the players. And so this was going to replace Champions League, and it was going to guarantee the biggest teams be in the tournament every year. So they basically tried to strong-arm European football for this tournament. And I think it's amazing because it showed the world if fans and players are on the same page, owners – are castrated. Like they basically castrated these guys, billionaires that have never been told no in their life. The fans, the players said, we ain't playing. And the fans said, and we ain't watching. And they went, Oh, bad idea. Okay. Return to your normal programming. Like how cool is that? 
fans and athletes on the same side. And we know there are some fans and athletes who are on the same side, but there are many more fans, I think, who are not on the side and athletes in situations like this. I actually think something like this uh, would work in certain American sports because there are so many fans who are just self-serving and don't give a crap about the integrity of the competition. And when when you root for a top team, you don't give a rat's ass about anyone else maybe pulling upsets, daring to dream. You know, the little guy can do it. Uh, but I like the, the fact that they, people there love the Champions League, and they're like, wait, automatic entry? Like almost bypassing the competition that leads up to the entry? No, we're not going for this. And then athletes did step up, and they're like, we're not playing in this. And as Petro said, they castrated these owners. Many of them are billionaires, like the Glazers here in the U.S., like, you know, John Henry, Cronky. I'm not even sure we could do this. Mm-hmm. Like, we would accomplish something like this here. Uh, but I, I think it's refreshing to see the fans and the athletes unite and actually, you know, knock down something. That would have that would have been absurd. absurd. So I, I think there's two things here. One, I think this goes for any real walk in life, right? Like, people have more power than you really realize. It just takes a united front yeah. to actually use that power. Yep. And you finally got that, right? And we've seen little bits of it and pieces, right, in the last few years in our own country in terms of the political dynamic. But you've also, you know, you see it in sports every once in a while, this being a great case. And the other part that I didn't really understand is, like, these teams that are going to be, you know, grandfathered into this Super League, you know, at some point, this, like, we see this all the time in the American sports model. You know, eventually, there's going to be clubs that are just like middle-tiered clubs that aren't successful anymore. <laughs> like, like, we have the Cleveland Browns and Detroit Lions, right, in the National Football League. You have these chronically underachieving teams right. because you're just stuck in this essential time loop that but you're never really going to break out of. But we're told that's not what it's all about. Right. You know, and, and if you made that uh, a, all but a certainty – would the NFL be as cool as it is now where, you know, every year you, you can see teams go from six wins to ten wins, make the playoffs, maybe make a run. You can see clubs turn it around over the course of two or three years. What happens if you just had automatic entries into a tournament in the NFL and then the available playoff spots were even smaller than they are now? I mean, we assume that the teams that have, you know, the great quarterbacks, they're going to make the playoffs. So it's, it's hard now to make right. the playoffs. But what if you reduce it where you're like, Chiefs are automatically in every year. You know what? Russell Wilson's really popular. Seattle's a good brand. Even though Seattle is probably a 9 or 10 win team this year in a 17-game season and kind of on the edge. But you know what? Russell Wilson's really popular and Seattle's a good brand. They're in. Like, what? And then, by the, by the way, how, I, going back to soccer, if your man, you, or whoever else you named, you know, the, some of these other elite clubs, these power clubs. Do you have memorized them all? Where's your motivation? Right. We're in. Well, what does it matter? Of course. And look. This isn't – it's not a super league, but what was the complaint right after the college football playoff, right? Like, the parameters of college football have in its own way created this weird super league where we're talking about the same six teams that are always in competition for the college football playoff. You and I talked about it in the podcast right after the national championship game. And we're kind of getting tired of seeing the same four teams all the time competing for a national championship. I will say, though, you're getting tired. I said there is hope on the horizon. I'm glass overflowing, Cofield. <laughs> you could say that. Hope is on the horizon! But guess what? If we formally – set up Super League or Super Leagues, and we did it here, there would be no hope. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. We're going to hit the draft, another draft preview. In about 15 minutes, Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus, is in with us. We'll get the latest on the Justin Fields rumors, what's going on with Kyle Pitts. A lot of bluster out there about the Cowboys in love with Pitts. JVT, Cofield, Silver Sevens on a Thursday. Yeah, the entire week we had a chance to get to the Super League concept, which I noticed it was a whole soccer deal, going to have automatic entries with the most powerful clubs, basically shut out the little guys. It would be like the NCAA tournament saying, you know what, we're going to cut back down to uh, 32, and it's these these uh, 26 programs have an automatic bid in, and that's it. Don't they There's, already do that? Well, at least, <laughs> at least it's at 68. I mean, I think they do everything they can to marginalize the little guy. Um, and there are a lot of American sports fans who will be fine with it because they just hyper-focus on their program. They just want their program to win. They want their program to have the best chance at winning a title. Um and it's, it's a weird deal, John, the last 40 years, what's developed. 
with fans v athletes because in this European soccer situation, the fans and the athletes actually bonded together and were like, this concept sucks. You're killing the spirit of the competition. Players are like, we're not playing in it. Fans are like, we're not, we're not buying this. We're not into it. And I, I think the most powerful clubs were like, our fans are idiots. They only care about our team. So, of course, they'll go with it because they get to be in the tournament. But they, they turned it down. Would you say the most recent example of that having in, here in America, at least in terms of sports, was the replacement refs with the NFL? Like the outcry after the fail Mary in that game and the NFL and the refs association just somehow magically coming to terms immediately after the result of that game. I guess because this isn't a I'm not I'm not just isoing on uh, athletes and labor or officials yeah. and labor. Just talking about the the general attitude of fans who will actually turn on their own athlete and push them out of town or push her out of town. Yeah. Instead of backing them and going, you know what, pay them what they deserve. Pay them whatever you I just I like this person. I want to root for them. We want to win. But so often people get mad in these situations. Why do you, what do you think the roots are? You know, let me play this first for you. What, I'll ask you, what do you think the roots are of uh, so many fans not liking athletes and, and pushing back on them and rooting against them? Uh, here's our buddy Soren Petro. We had a long conversation about this tonight. I wanted your take on it. But here's Petro just talking about a general dissatisfaction with a lot of Americans. Maybe with just their their – their existence, and then they project it on the sports. Because I think we're insecure and jealous, and we're never satisfied with what we have, and in some ways that drives us to be better. But it's also the bullshit false narrative that so many people gobble up that like, oh, you know what? Like, I could be I could be a millionaire, and we cannot find a satisfactory result. We cannot come to grips with our own limitations and find success elsewhere. It's an inability to be satisfied. Because our society has decided that only these people are successes. You can't be a success without a house that's X, you know, big enough or whatever. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that for the most part. Like, I do think jealousy is the root of it, right? These men, these women, they play a game. They get paid millions of money. Like, why can't I do that? Right? And then on top of that, they view it that, okay, well, you're playing a game. So thus, you're not qualified to speak on greater things. Like, just shut up and play. You're getting paid to do something like this. Right. And I think the, I think jealousy is pretty much the root of but on almost the, everything. On the jealousy of the athletes thing, think about it. Uh, people love to throw out there, "Hey, everything's a meritocracy. You can you can do whatever you want." Sports really is the ultimate meritocracy. We all play sports as kids, and guess what? We all find out at some point there's a ceiling, and we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I think so much of the jealousy is actually rooted in the fact that as you move up the chain as a young athlete, and you just hey, at some point you're just not good enough. You start looking at the athletes who are, and you become jealous at a young age. Maybe it starts in high school. Maybe it starts in middle school. And then it happens, you know, continues in your 20s. Like, hey, I didn't achieve. You know, I wanted that. Because you hear all the time, I would do it for free. You can't. Right. They don't want you. You're not good enough. There's a reason you would do it for free. You know? (laughs) Like, I would make attorney money if I could, and I would do it for even less money than they make. I can't do it. I'm too stupid. That's me talking. Right. And then when you get jealous of those athletes, you become a sports media member so you can stay that much closer. <laughs> right. You become a sports radio guy. No, but like I, I completely agree. That's, that's a very good way to put it because a lot of people just want to do that kind of a job, be paid that kind of money to do something which they, to a certain extent, believe is easy. And that's the other thing, too, that I think is part of it. It's not even just jealousy. I think a lot of people believe that athletes are inherently talented and don't have to work to where they got to. They were lucky. Right. It's just genetics. Right. No, they they actually they worked their ass off. They probably had better work ethic than you as well, and that's and and still do. Most of not most of us. I shouldn't put it that way. A lot of people can max out what their body can do, but they have to be willing to work at it and do it almost every day. Same with any craft. And coming up in sports is difficult, right? There are life lessons. Like I have no idea what's going to happen with this generation. I don't have kids, but I hear you know a lot of you guys. The parents are like. Even you, you're a young guy. Kids these days, and the video games, and they won't go out. And Grandma, give me a grape soda. It's the greatest commercial it ever. It is, right? Greatest commercial <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's her fault. She raised him to be like that. She man. got him too many grape sodas, and now he's all comfy, right. and now he's using whatever that was, a rotary phone. The commercial still holds like 30 years later. It totally does. It's actually it's kind of from my generation. Sitting in the middle of the big pile of leaves in the chair, just blowing the leaves around. But, uh Hey, sports is a microcosm of real life. There's going to be challenges and hurdles, and 
sometimes you're not going to be as talented as others and you got to fight through or also come to the realization I can't do it. Let me put my energy into something I potentially can be good at that I have talent in. But instead, I mean, now in the and listen, I I profit from this. I have a living from this. Um, I don't think we could and we don't do it. I don't think we could come on four hours a day and be like, yay, sports. And the, the audience would be all fired up because like angst around the athletes and your, your your team's underachieving is really what drives sports talk radio and the sports media. Of course. Like, I think 90% of sports talk radio is complaining. And the athletes have to understand that because the athletes are also, like when we talk about athletes and, and fans bonding, um, there are athletes who don't want to bond with fans because they, they will take, you know, the fans all become the negative ones. And we're not, you know, we're not all negative. I'm not, I'm not rooting against my teams or guys on the team. Want to see them do well. Right. I don't, I've never, you know, I've told the story but, you know, before, whatever, 30 years ago, being a psycho going to freaking Yankee Stadium in the bleachers, and it's like they get a new acquisition, and, you know, guy's like two games into his Yankee career, and they're just raking him across the coals. I'm just like, stop, you know. <laughs> Terry Mulholland's trying. <laughs> Steve Trout, he's, he, you're upsetting him. Andy Hawkins is having a tough time. I've never really been, like, over-the-top angry sports fan. I think I've always kind of understood the realities of sports in general. I'll pat myself on the back there. Yeah. I just don't want to see my team, like the other day, give up six runs in the final two innings to the Texas Rangers. But, but when I hear you, as a sports fan, express your frustrations, most of the time it's with the owner and oh, the organization. Yeah, that, yeah. They, that they're not putting your team in the position to win. They're not putting the team in a position for Mike Trout to win, which is a, that that. That is a travesty. He is a, he's a once-in-a-lifetime talent. He's still trucking along. He's still got like five more years in his prime at least, and they're half-assing it. Of course. You're not, and you're not, you're not like, like there are, there are legitimately fans who will look at Mike Trout and go, loser. Can't win at all. There, there are fans doing it this year. You cover the NBA. Steph Curry, he's great, but can't win without another superstar. T- Why are you mad at Steph Curry? Of course. They haven't given him a team. He just had a run of 72 freaking threes in 10 games. Right. He's old as hell, and he's scoring and scoring and scoring. But you're, you're mad at Steph Curry? What? And the stat sheet stuffer just single-handedly beat the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers, but he sucks. Can't win without anybody. Like, okay, bro, so get out of here. So dumb. And you have to encounter some of the worst fans because they're not really fans. Like I saw you, you were pointing to a couple of tweets today about someone who's like, oh, the NBA is just oh, well, it's unbearable. Well, see, that's that's I could spend hours on this type of topic. Like, when you look at the people who complain the most about the NBA, they're people that admittedly do not watch the sport, so have no room to complain whatsoever. And a lot of it is driven by, I think, the hate for the athlete. And there's a lot of racial connotations to what the hate behind the NBA is, right? You see it all the time. You know what, Steve? The one thing that I have noticed since I have started to cover the NBA for VSIN. The amount of, like, coded language tweets I get all the time about these guys would only be plumbers if it wasn't for the league, things like that, like, it's disgusting. But a lot of that hate comes from the exact same type of people, the people who don't watch it, the people who dislike the athletes for who they are, and it's really gross, and it's getting tired, and it, and it bleeds out into all these complaints about the injury situations, about the, the, you know, the status of the league and the way it's being played nowadays. It was so much better back then. Like, no, it wasn't. It sucked. Semi Ojale would be a Hall of Famer if he played in like the 1970s. And by the way, I'm sure n- nobody. Louis Ojale? Yeah, Semi Ojale, exactly. I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't even know who Semi Ojale is. But like it is, it's kind of gross, man. Like, and it's, it's getting so old to hear the complaints about the status of the league. And the worst part about it is it comes from an uneducated place because you don't understand the reason why players aren't playing in games is because the compact nature of the schedule and injuries are piling up. Trey Young just got hurt the other day. Donovan Mitchell gets hurt four days ago. We see Jamal Murray tear his ACL. We have all these legitimate injuries. What player do you want to see play? Like, that's the one question I have about all of this is all of these players who are so lazy, right, who aren't playing in these games, tell me the one who should be playing right now who's not legitimately injured. And it's something that I've just never understood when you look at this. And then you get to situations where guys do try to come back early, and what happens? Harden gets a setback and he can't play anymore. Or he comes back, plays four minutes, and then pulls a hamstring even more. It just comes from an uneducated spot, and that's the one thing that drives me nuts, is speaking on a topic you have no idea how it works. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. 
hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. It's Cofield and Company. He's back, Austin Gale. Last week I said goodbye to Austin. I'm like, yeah, we're not going to talk to you next week for the draft. We've done so much draft stuff. I was so fired up. I'm like, draft today. Said this last week. We still have another week. Calm down. Calm down. Von Tobel's here, Silver 7s, Cofield. Austin Gale has been helping us out, break down the uh, NFL draft, pff.com. What's up, buddy? Doing well, man. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're monitoring the betting markets, so we, uh, we want to get into that a little bit more. But, uh, you know, we're going to get some last-second news, some leaks, some different determinations about players. Maybe they make a difference in the draft. Maybe they don't. Uh, tell us what you think and, and what you've heard about Justin Fields and this report that he's got epilepsy. He's got to manage getting seizures. What's this going to happen in terms of uh, personnel departments across the NFL, and especially those clubs that were fired up to potentially take him in the top five? Yeah, I'm not concerned about it at all. I think you read more into it and you see that, you know, his family has been diagnosed with similar, you know, um, levels of epilepsy, and it's all kind of faded into their 20s. And I think he's right in that spot to start to fade. I don't think it's affected him in any way, shape, or form. At Ohio State, I don't expect it to affect him in the NFL. I know Alan Fanica has done a lot of awareness we, uh, you know, work on epilepsy. He also had epilepsy in the NFL and still has it now. And I do think that Justin Fields, again, it's just like, I don't understand, and maybe this is a hot take and maybe this is aggressive, I don't understand why Justin Fields, one of the highest-graded passers, according to PFF, in all college football, one of the most successful quarterbacks in college football over the past two seasons, is getting picked apart like a third-round pick. When Zach Wilson went against Alabama State A&M, it hasn't been talked about at all, has been the consensus number two overall pick. Mac Jones, who has a DUI in 2017, multiple execs saying, you know, guessing his you know, decision-making in that regard, doesn't get picked apart at all. I don't understand why we keep bringing up these things about Justin Fields. Epilepsy, can't process, Ohio State offense, another Dwayne Haskins. It's ridiculous. I'm done. I am done. Justin Fields is a top quarterback prospect in this class and should go to the Diners at number three. I couldn't agree with anything more <laughs> that you just rattled off, Austin. So I'm really curious. Yeah, I, this is the topic that I really like, and it kind of ties into the epilepsy thing, right? It's the concept of like sliding up and down or you know, sliding down boards or rising up, things like that. I, I always laugh at it. I use this as the same example. Like, did some front office wake up this morning or the other day and open up their Twitter account and was like, oh, my God, he's got epilepsy? This is crazy. Let's dock him. Like, all of these kind of things, the teams know these things for the most part, right? It's us that are learning this on a delayed note. And so this concept of guys sliding, for the most part, these are all factors that are known by all these teams. This is a great conversation. I think the sli- any sliding, any rising or falling on draft boards right now is the media catching up to what the league is saying about these players or how the league views these players because – we did not have a combine this year where all 32 teams and multiple representatives of those 32 teams all show up to the same city and talk to the same people, Adam Schefter, Ian Rapport, and these other guys, and you start to get an actual feel of where the league is on these prospects. Instead, we're finding it out pro day by pro day, inch by inch, row by row, because there isn't this situation where all 32 teams are in the same spot. There's a reason the trade went down with the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins the same day all 32 teams were in Provo, Utah for Zach Wilson's pro day. There's a reason. When you're all together, and you're able to kind of get a read on where the league sees players, you can go make plays. The Niners found out that day, or at least maybe in the days preceding it, that Zach Wilson was going two to the Jets, as did the rest of the media, and then they made a move. That is how it's happening, and that's why I think you're seeing risers and fallers. All that is is the media catching up to what these, team, you know, what these teams think or how the league thinks on these players. What's the latest with Kyle Pitts? Because we're being spoon-fed a lot of uh, the Cowboys' desire, their love of Kyle Pitts. But obviously right now, at 10, they're not in range, we don't think, of getting Kyle Pitts. I bet the Tampa Bay Buccaneers love Kyle Pitts too, but there's not a chance they land him either. I don't (laughs) think that, you know, there's a lot of teams that aren't drafting inside the top five, top six picks that want to have a Kyle Pitts but can't, you know, move the capital necessary to go trade up and get him. I think in betting markets, he's what? Minus 150 to go inside the top five. I would lean that direction. I do think Kyle Pitts is either going to the Atlanta Falcons at four or going to the Cincinnati Bengals at five if a team does trade up and take a quarterback there at four. Say it is Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I think Kyle Pitts is a lock for the top five. If not, if not a lock for the top five, obviously only minus 150. I would be floored, absolutely floored, if he gets past the Miami Dolphins at six. And then at seven, Detroit. Like You're not getting down to ten. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys want to trade future first-round picks or future second-round picks to go up and get a non-quarterback. As good as Kyle Pitts is, trading future top 50 picks for non-quarterbacks rarely pans out. The Julio Jones trade doesn't happen every single year. If you're Cincy, 
you've got Chase and Pitts and Panay Sewell on the board. What are you doing? My, my, my thought process there is I think I take Pitts over Chase and Sewell, and then at number two, I think I lean Sewell over Chase. However, you're splitting hairs. I think this, this has dominated the offseason for I have no reason why. I guess because Joe Burrow is obviously second-year quarterback, coming off a big knee injury. Yes, there's a lot of narratives here. Do you protect Joe Burrow, who's coming off a season-ending injury and has that scar up and down his knee after they release those jerseys? Do you pair him up with the, you know, his teammate in 2019, Jamar Chase, who dominated the SEC? Or do you take this generational tight end prospect we've really never seen in the last 10 years? A lot of narratives driving this conversation for Cincinnati at five. I would lean Pitts, Sewell, and Chase. But the fact of the matter is, the conversation no one wants to have is you can't go wrong. You know, everyone wants to make, who should you go, who should you go? All these players are really good, and all these players are going to help that offense move forward. So Austin, I like the conversations around like positional value, right? And so like sticking with Cincinnati, for example, I thought, you know, your colleague Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson had a really good conversation on one of their recent podcasts where it was talking about Cincinnati and like the Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell thing. And, and the gist of it was, you know, in today's NFL, and by the way, they signed Riley Reif in the offseason, right? So that kind of helps with the offensive line. Wouldn't you rather grab the wide receiver who could be a generational talent and pair up with your quarterback and go offensive line later in the draft? Like, you can find those diamonds in the rough. So Jamar Chase is not going to be there for you in the later rounds. Exactly. I think you also have to take into account how deep this offensive tackle class is. I think there's going to be eight offensive tackles, maybe even nine offensive tackles drafted in the first 50 picks, and that includes the Bengals' second rounder at the top of day two. So I do think you could look at you're not getting a Jamar Chase on day two. And you're not getting a Penesul either, but you're getting something closer than what you're getting with the wide receiver on day two comparing Jamar Chase. I also think the better conversation is the ceiling. Pretend Jamar Chase and Penesul both hit their ceiling projection in the NFL. They're both as good as everyone expects them to be. You'd rather have Jamar Chase, a top five receiver in the NFL, than a top five tackle because it does you little to have an elite offensive tackle or less to have an elite offensive tackle versus an elite receiver. Getting good or slightly above average along the offensive line is more important than getting elite at any one position. You don't hang banners for having the best tackle in the NFL. You hang banners for winning football games. And I think you have Jamar Chase better odds if they both hit their ceiling projection to have a better impact on wins than saying an elite offensive tackle. So I'm curious as we kind of build on this offensive line class because I'm really intrigued by it. If we look at picks 7, 8, and 9, actually we'll go 6, 7, 8, and 9, Am I wrong in thinking, like, hey, that's a run in terms of Sewell and Slater both could go off the board there? Because I think all three of those teams, Miami, Detroit, Carolina, all could use an offensive lineman. 100%. I think it's going to be a combination of those guys and also the receiving class. It could be a Devontae Smith. It could be Jamar Chase if the Bengals go Kyle Pitts. It'll be interesting to see how this all stacks out. I really highly doubt that Rashawn Slater you know, makes it past 11 with the Giants, even though have Nate Solder coming back. You're not really going to kick in Matt Pure in offensive in the guard. You're not going to kick Andrew Thomas in the guard. You'd probably have Slater come and play guard. But that's a really good offensive line, a really big improvement for the Giants. I don't think Slater makes the pass 11. I don't think Panay Sewell makes the pass 7. I think Detroit would be very smart to swing the bat on Panay Sewell, a team that I think is, what, has the second-highest win total of any team in 2021, right above the Houston Texans, who in every way, shape, and form are a dumpster fire. So the Detroit Lions are going to be in a pretty bad spot next season. It's better to take best player available. Penesul at seven would be a fantastic pick for them. So I think you're going to see Slater and Rashad, Slater and Penesul likely go inside the top ten picks uh, for sure. When you're uh, mocking out the draft, do you have some quarterbacks beyond the, the elite guys, the, the guys we've been talking about, potentially slipping into the back of the first round? See, I've been asked this question a lot. Like, is there going to be a sixth quarterback drafted in this class in the first round? I, I'm leaning towards no. I think there's teams that, you know, it's fun to mock the quarterback of the future to Pittsburgh or to Tampa Bay or to New Orleans. I just don't think the sixth best quarterback in this class is anyone's quarterback of the future, not, at least not for some time. I do think that on day two, day three, you look at options like Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, um, Felipe Franks maybe, if you're looking at the bottom of the seventh. I think there's some opportunity there to develop some guys, but I would rather attack – you know, high positions that are going to impact your team. Because if you're drafting at the back end of the first round, you're drafting for a reason. You're drafting there for a reason. You're in a window to win some football games, maybe outside of some of those teams that obviously have two first-rounders. I do think that you don't see a quarterback, a sixth quarterback taken off the board. I think it stops with Mac Jones. Do you see any teams in the late teens, uh, in the 20s in the first, getting aggressive, you know, pulling a Chiefs like they did with Mahomes? So who would be a candidate to move up and try to get the fifth guy? Potentially, I think 19, Washington could make a power play to come up to four with Atlanta, maybe six Miami, seven with Detroit if you start to see one of those quarterback prospects fall. And then the other team, I think, is uh, Chicago. Chicago picking at 20. They could, you know, that, that happened to them pretty recently. They trade up from 3 2 for Mitchell Trubisky and then watch Patrick Mahomes go to the Chiefs. 
Now they're in a position to maybe go up and get one of these guys. Maybe they go swing the bat big for Justin Fields or uh, Trey Lance, but they'd have to give up a lot of capital. You'd have to swing a big bat, push a lot of chips in. And I don't know, you know, you think about Matt Nagy's job and, and, and you know, the, the, the players there, I think you're, you're looking to save your job less than you are looking to develop a quarterback. So I think they're going to make some more small window, short window um, decisions. Why wouldn't the Steelers do it? I'm still very confused that Tomlin signed an extension without a quarterback of the future. I feel like Kevin Colbert has a plan. Like, he's told him, listen, man, we're going to get the quarterback of the future. I just think it would cost too much. Like, I, I like that idea, but I like it a lot more for New England than I do like it for Pittsburgh. Because, again, you're not you – know, you know, New England doesn't have a quarterback of the future either, but they just dumped $135 million guaranteed in one offseason, second most the NFL has ever seen from a team. So they're in a position to go win big with the quarterback of the future, and it's just not going to cost as much – for the Patriots go to fifth from 15 to four or 15 to seven, whatever it may be, to get their quarterback as much as Pittsburgh might have to give up three first rounders. And at that point, this roster is not great. Like you, you have some good receivers, obviously, but defensively, you lost Bud Dupree. TJ Watt's going to need a lot of money soon. Cameron Hayward getting long in the tooth. I don't know how much longer Joe Hayden's kicking around. Like you have a roster that's aging, you have a window that's closing. I think you almost need to hit the reset button. I'm surprised wow. they brought Big Ben back. It's interesting. That's interesting. So the, what, what you're suggesting is that Tomlin signed on for more years to be part of a rebuild and maybe his la- the last year of his contract, that's when they get I, back I, to Patan. I mean, they're they, going to – because they're going to have a couple of years here where they may not have a quarterback. It could be a bridge guy because, you know, honestly, comparing him to the Patriots, I think, is, is a little bit weird because I, I feel like the Patriots have a line on Jimmy G. Like, that could be their quarterback of the future with Big Ben around for the money he's going to make. The Steelers really like the Steelers can't go and get the bridge now. They can't get to no, the Bridgewater now. The problem is, is that a rebuild should be coming sooner than later for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but it yes. won't because they're for whatever reason committed to Ben Roethlisberger. I think they're going to find themselves in quarterback purgatory over the next two seasons unless they completely hit reset. And I think Mike Tomlin signing onto that extension is obviously clinging to this window, clinging to this kind of gaudy win total they had last year, obviously the 11-0 star, but not realizing that if Big Ben doesn't take a massive leap forward this next season, this is going to be a team that's consistently drafting between 12 and 20 for the next couple seasons and not necessarily hitting reset on this roster, not finding that quarterback of the future. So I'm interested to see you know, where they end up this season. I think they could make the postseason again. Obviously, 17-game season, seven teams make it from each conference. They could make the postseason again, but is this a team built to win deep? I don't know. I like the Bills more than I them. I like Browns more than they them. Wow. I like maybe even the Patriots more than them. It's going to be interesting to see how far the Pittsburgh Steelers go because Big Ben just did not look like himself last year. Last one. Are both Garoppolo and Bridgewater traded before the end of the draft? That is interesting. I do think that not maybe not before the end of the draft. I, I think Bridgewater might not be traded during the draft, but I do think that Jimmy G probably in the prime conversation to get traded during the draft. I would just be really – it depends who they take, though. They take Trey Lance at three, they're probably keeping Jimmy G. And going to let him you know, start this season and groom Trey Lance. But if they take a Mac Jones or a Justin Fields, guys more prepped to start year one, maybe they do move on from Jimmy Garoppolo and trade him to a team that's looking desperate quarterback position. That could be New England. That could be Chicago. That could be Washington. But uh, how much better does Jimmy G make you over Ryan Fitzpatrick? How much better does Jimmy G make you over Andy Dalton even? There's a reason that the, the San Francisco 49ers traded two future first-round picks to go up from 12-3 to 3 with a quarterback on their roster that went to the Super Bowl. They know how bad Jimmy G is, and I think other teams do as well. Austin, great job, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Pro Football Focus, PFF.com. Sign up for this subscription. They're up there all the time at a discount as well. It's PFF.com. What do you think of that? Is I mean, I keep, I keep reading people, NFL insiders, who are like, yeah, Bridgewater definitely on the move before the end of the draft. Oh, yeah. To get I, more draft capital or get – you know, future draft capital. It would make sense, and actually it's funny that we bring this up because uh, I just clicked on an article right now. Headline, you ready for this? Denver Broncos GM, confident in Drew Locke, but looking to add competition at quarterback. You, the Broncos are one of the more complete rosters in the NFL. If they got Teddy Bridgewater, they would be like a legitimate competitor in the AFC for a playoff spot and potentially a AFC, uh, AFC crown. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. The phones are always open on Cofield and Company. Call 702-364-1100 now. There we got more coming up on LeBron James and his deleted tweet. Just how important LeBron is to this country. 364-1100. He didn't see it. He uh, tweeted out, admitted that it was an emotional tweet. 
sent out a picture of accountability, well, saying accountability, picture of the officer involved in the Columbus shooting situation where, you know, we'll find out what happens through a full investigation, but based on what we've heard and seen, it looks like there was a uh, life potentially saved in the situation, but, you know, LeBron got fired up and he admitted it. Said he's frustrated right now. 364-1100-364-1100. You know, you can certainly react to the fact that Mark Davis got a couple of days of uh, hell for his Twitter. I'm not even going to say Twitter mistake because, I I mean, I believe him on what he thought he was doing. I wasn't applied well. 364-1100-364-1100. This is new. I, I guess it's a mashup of a coach who's been around for a while. I have no idea who this guy is, but in interviews, this Montana Tech football coach is brilliant. The key to the win was that your diggers took control early. Kind of like when you get married. That first day, your wife takes control early. And that's what the ore diggers did. Our football team was like the kid that plays second French horn in the school band. We got to play better. He could have picked any instrument. Off to a good start. <laughs> French horn's not easy. I don't think any instrument is easy. Like, he could have picked any instrument. That's so good. Some aspects look like we're really ready to play. A couple of other aspects look like we just got off Willie Nelson's tour bus. Everybody expects you to win. Uh, my wife couldn't go to church with me on Sunday, and everybody said, where is she? I said, she doesn't go out with losers. I wanted to raise my kids using a depth chart. Can you imagine that? I wanted that. Pam Green vetoed that idea. All right. That's a good one, a depth chart for kids? I always felt like I was on top of the depth chart between myself and the, the two brothers. I almost let something slip, but Uh-oh. I would like to use a depth chart at some point. It'd be cool. It'd be good. Like, that. hey, you're in danger of losing the starting gig. I mean, you're – I don't know what you're – are you a millennial or not? You are, right? Yeah, I'm a millennial. I mean, you guys don't have kids. You don't have a lot of kids. You're selfish. You have one kid and you move on. That's right. Give me more Coach Montana Tech football guy. First of all, they got after it hard. I'm telling you, they were like a hobo on a ham sandwich. He's like that black lab on the first day of pheasant hunting season. He was pulling at the chain. We're kind of like a woodpecker in a petrified forest. You know, just keep busy and look for opportunities. All the calls I made on fourth down all those years, you know what my favorite fourth down call was? What? Punt. It was the most successful play we had. There you go. Using some Dick Vitale, Bill Raftery humor there about what sort of coach he is. So, And the hobo and a ham sandwich. Eh, let's retract the hobo reference. Yeah, kind of an old reference. 21, yeah. yeah 2021, let's, bro. Let's, let's help people. Yeah. But I get it if you're hungry. Uh, 3 6 4 Russell wants in. Russell. How's it going? I, I, let's do some Festivus. <laughs> no? What's up, man? What's going on? Hey, uh, I just want to see if we can, uh, uh, instead of doing uh, uh, police reform, let's do some media reform. I mean, all this stuff that started with all these little short uh, videos that, that, that burned cities to the ground, I'm like, let's, let's go ahead and get the whole fact straight first. Then we go from there. But all the news media wants to have, they want to break the story first, they want to break it, they want to break it, and then they burn their cities down. So with like a nine-minute video clip of a guy getting kneeled on, would that would that help? No. How about how about let's go let's do the whole video leading up to that part that that part. Russell, do you view life as just groups and they? Everyone's in one group, a they. There's a lot of they's in your call. Well, I'm talking about the media. I think that, I think there should be some some penalties against the media based, so, based on. What's so you're a with- you're a big sports fan. I'd be a huge sports fan. Yeah, I'm 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 the same as Clay Travis. Yeah, I am. Okay. Wow. <laughs> all right, we're all in the same boat. Come on, dude. Uh, nothing is a monolith in any business, whether it's the media or uh, an ethnic group. No, no one, no group has one set of values or approaches or behaves the same. Come on, dude. All right, that was it. The nine-minute video of George Floyd begging for his life, I guess, wasn't enough. I would have kept you on for a few more minutes, but you faded there. 
I do think around the LeBron thing there is, and uh, Russell made. He's making a you know, a broad statement, but most people do need to back off, and I'm not saying it's the media. Most people in general need to back off and not be super emotional when news comes down, when events come down the pike. Read multiple sources. Let the story develop. Get more facts before we're all flipping out. I, and yeah, and yeah, on this show, we're guilty sometimes of overreacting too early on, and then things change the story. Yes, we should all slow down. I actually, I have LeBron a... James leading the way in the last day or so. He needed to slow down, and he said that I got too emotional. Right. I no, I completely agree with that. He he copped to it as well in his follow-up tweets about the topic. Right, and, and even the tone and the vibe in the original tweet was somewhat threatening. Like, you can totally understand how it's misconstrued, and he spoke on that. But, uh, you know, I have this conversation with my wife all the time when we talk about stories on the Internet, whether we see it. I'm like, did, did you see another one? Yep. Like, did you, did you corroborate with another story? Did we see, like, the other reporting on this? You always want to get the entire story. There's nothing wrong with that. I have, uh, I have real good combos like this with, uh, with the SO, the significant other, when I start talking about something. You know, breaking news or whatever, a hot story, and she just, she, question, 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 question. Like, she wants to know, like, what's going on here? You're going fast. All right. And really, we all, most of us need to pump the brakes. And I'm talking about fans, media, athletes, coaches. Everything goes a 1,000 miles an hour. You know, we're in an you know, ADHD society now, so we're, we're just going to, we're going fast. Everyone calm down. Now, that said, if a mistake or an overstep happens and the person comes out and says listen this is what happened all right now i'm not necessarily saying i'm sorry but i'm going to give you the rationale behind it and i need more information so in the case of lebron when he explains it if you don't want to hear the explanation then i think that tells a different story in the case of mark davis mark davis explained what he meant by the i can breathe and where he got it from and then people are like well take it down like he said basically what's the point of taking it down it's out there Mm mm-hmm and a lot of times taking it down, it doesn't erase anything. LeBron taking down his tweet doesn't erase anything because people are out to dislike Mark Davis, out to dislike the Raiders, out to – like if you're predisposed to flipping out when you disagree with someone, whatever they say and do, and they try to have some sort of dialogue and give you an explanation, and then you're not interested in step two, then I don't know. Is it is it a they problem or a you problem? Notice how I did that, they. Yeah. And I'm talking about specific – you know, specific people will get angry and won't accept an explanation after an initial gaffe. Yeah. No, I look, the, the Mark Davis thing is a really good example. Like, when you look at that entire situation, the first thing that I said to you when we were talking about it in the air was, it's clearly coming from a well-intentioned place, maybe not executed the most proper way. I even sent out a sarcastic tweet later, but then I read Mark Davis's explanation. I read, by the way, the, the, the Floyd family getting involved in talking about the tweet, and I was like, you know what? I kind of understand it now. And realizing that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have piled on like everybody else was. Kevin wants in at 364-1100. Kevin. What's going on, Steve? John, uh, Steve, you're not like Clay Travis. You're like the LeBron James of afternoon talk radio. Yeah. Well, not in a good way because you sit there and jabber behind your keyboard, but I never see you out doing anything to stand for the causes you're upset about. Just like LeBron James, he wants to get there and talk about he's outraged and he's sick of it. If he's so sick of something, why doesn't he stop what he's doing and be an advocate in a more higher platform? He's got all of these these transitional outlets to be effective, but he talks and does nothing about it just because you have a TV show, the barbershop, and you have all of these business outlets, he's not actually on the front lines omitting change for the things he wants to see change about. Kevin, he was highly involved in the last election. He was, he was highly involved in the last election. That's fine. He's gotten people to vote. What has he done for the actual police and the authoritative institutions? What do you want him to do for the police? Or what do you want him to do for police reform? Well, he wants to see change, so why is he not out leading the change for that aside from voting? Voting is just another another virtue signal that all of the other... Voting, voting is a, voting, voting is a, vert, voting is so a virtue change, signal? He should commit his life in a more detailed aspect to this change that he wants to see. Voting is a virtue signal. Getting more people to vote and giving more availability to... to Hundreds of thousands of people to vote is a virtue signal? 
It's it, it's one thing, Steve. He's gotten he's gotten more people to vote. Is that, so should we just throw a party and say, okay, LeBron, you've done your job? But he's so outraged. Clearly, the voting is not enough to get change done. There needs to be more done. Well, I actually, I think I think it has started to create some change, hasn't it? Is that enough for you? Just just getting more people to vote? Is that enough for a guy that's got four million people that follow him on social media? Is it just enough? To get more people to vote, is that is that done? Should we just say, okay, LeBron, you've, you've done a great job on getting more people to, to vote. Um, you, okay, go go ahead on with with what else you have to do. Have you have you ever heard of the House Three Thirty program? Is that something that he does in Akron that puts more people? Look, I know LeBron has a school <laughs> and he's educating people, and he's so, probably so, allowing more housing where he's from in Northeast Ohio. So that's three uh, that's three elements he's affecting. So that's still not enough. Not enough. Not okay. enough, Steve. All right. wait, 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 but that's the perfect phrase. What did I tell you when we were talking about this earlier? Yeah. It's never enough. It's not enough. All right, Kevin. Appreciate it. House 330 Multifaceted Community Center in Akron, Ohio, for families in James I Promise program that includes a school, low-cost housing, and now plans for a center where financial planning, job training, physical activity, and community events can be housed in a single location. And you see what happens there? He's got to build that in every city in America. Slow down. If you're going to make a statement that LeBron James is a virtue signaler and does nothing, just says stuff, you should probably look into what he's doing aside from basketball. Slow down. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's it's actually that's a good discussion. I don't know why he's all fired up yelling, making demands. Like, yeah, I would I actually would like to know more about what LeBron does outside of basketball. You know, push causes. And I would like to learn. Why can't this be a calm process instead of an accusatory process? Golden Knights games and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up.